And Lord, we just ask that you would direct us through this time, that you'd be honored and glorified as we examine your word. Help us now, Lord, to understand it and to learn from your life and the things that were accomplished there. Bless us as we go through this week that we may serve thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And uh, we will pick up our narrative right after the Sermon on the Mount, but I'd like to just get the last two verses here. In verse 28 and 29 of Matthew chapter 7, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these saying, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And so we are introduced to Jesus' greatest sermon recorded in the Scripture Uh, I believe it's the only full sermon. We have many discourses of Jesus that were uh, parts of his preaching and teaching that were brought out by the different authors for different reasons. Uh, But um, the Sermon on the Mount is a complete sermon that Jesus preached. And just to, again, put it in its context, uh, here in our church it took us 18, 18 months to wade through what was in three chapters in your Bible, and still only felt like we really just scraped the surface uh, of what is being taught there. Jesus summarized the standard of righteousness, what he wants to do in the life of the Christian. I, I do not believe the Sermon on the Mount should be relegated only for those that enter the Millennial Kingdom, uh, because that would negate so much of the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Aren't you glad your brother's not going to be up there trying to pick the moat out of your eye with a beam in his own in heaven, amen, or in the kingdom? Uh, It's just not going to be there. This is practical Christian living. And uh, all of us have been there. We've all had the beam in our eye, and we certainly have the moats as well. And, And so we need to... Ask God to teach us and help us and to open our eyes. You know, uh, I don't know who said it, but just a little bit of humility will open your eyes to an awful lot that's in the Scriptures. Amen? It, it, it's God's plan for us. And yet, when Jesus taught, it says He taught them with authority. You know what? They accused Jesus of being dogmatic. Uh, They accused him of saying, this is right, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong. You know what? That's the way God's word ought to be preached. Not because the preacher is so great, but because the message is. Amen? Sometimes we make apologies for God. God doesn't need apologies. What is in this book is there for a reason. He put it there. 
And we need to obey it, not try to make it more acceptable to people who aren't going to obey it anyway. I mean, have you ever tried this? Try it with mathematics. You have somebody that does not want to accept principles of geometry, i.e. circles around, triangles look like triangles, etc. Uh, they just don't want to accept those truths. Uh, are you going to get them to learn any more by watering it down? And saying, well, a circle is kind of like a circle, but it's really not a circle. Uh, that won't get you very far, now will it? But why do we do it with the Word of God? I mean, isn't that the ongoing thought process of the quote-unquote scholars? Is we'll make it easier for you to understand. We'll water it down a little bit. And yet, these very same people point to certain individuals and, oh, they're just so smart, they know everything. You need to sit at their feet and learn of them. Even though they uh, can't do their income taxes, they deserve to be the head of the Department of Treasury. You see, this stuff has practical modern-day application. If you're going to mess with the Word of God, why won't you mess with your economics? Why won't you mess with the court system? If truth is not really truth, what then matters? Hello? Welcome to postmodernism. Now, that's what they call it. Uh, and yet, here is Jesus' teaching, and it says that he taught them with authority. He wasn't quoting the great learned rabbis of the time past. He wasn't reading from the Mishnah and whatever of the uh, basic of the Talmuds that might have existed in those days. Jesus was just giving the words of God. And that's what we need to do. Now, as we go through our story, uh, you'll find lots of scripture references and they might not all be in the same order and what we're trying to do is certainly we have the same stories. There's no question about that. There may be a little bit of question as to orders and things like that. And somebody said, well, why did Matthew put the story here and, and, and Mark put it over there? Isn't that a disagreement? Well, I, I guess that could be. Uh, but no one is claiming a definitive timeline here, but the stories are all documented one through the other, and what we're going to do is just kind of piecemeal it together, and some of the things may come a little bit more into focus as we see the order in which they happen. Right now, uh, we have gone through in these first few chapters, and again, we're still in Mark chapter 1, if you'll follow your thing, we're about six months into the first year of Jesus' ministry. Now, when we get to John chapter 12, there are 21 chapters in, tw in John. When we get to John chapter 12, we're going to be in the last week. Over half of John's book concerns the last week of Jesus' life and then the post-resurrection appearances and things. Uh, 
Um, and so uh, I want to just set a groundwork here that no one is sitting down and saying, April 25th, 28 A.D., this ha- that's not in the Gospels. Now, they tried to put that in the commentaries. The only problem is, how many times has the calendar been reset? I mean, the Pope did it two or three weeks, and that's the difference. Uh, I don't even remember when he did it. 14, 1500, something like that. And that's why the old Orthodox that hold to the Orthodox celebrate Christmas two weeks later because they want to thumb their nose at what the Pope did in changing the calendars. And somebody said, what do you believe about all that? I frankly don't care. Uh, It does tell me one thing is we think we know all of these things, but we don't know near as much as we think we do. And uh, one of these days, somebody's going to come up and said, the atomic clock needs adjustment. In fact, I think somebody's already written articles on that, that uh, as the neutrons fire or protons, whatever they are, at so many millions of a nanosecond, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, God's time clock. Chasing a few rabbits here. Uh, let's worry about his calendar, not ours. Amen? And so I, I'm going to believe what my, my Bible tells me. We do not have contradiction in the facts. What we may have is just a little difference in the order of things. But let's just start here. Matthew chapter 8. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. If we read in Mark and in Luke, Jesus also told him, Not to tell anybody what had happened. But what did he do? He uh, made much of what Jesus did. He published it much, it tells us, and blazed it abroad so that Jesus could no longer enter into a city. Because the moment he entered into the city, everybody came, blocked the streets. I mean... Uh, You've heard of gridlock alert. How would you like to do what they do in Manhattan with cars, with bodies? Now that would be scary, wouldn't it? And so Jesus literally, if he entered into a city, the mob came so thick that nothing could happen. And so Jesus uh, was in the wilderness. Some people wonder, why did Jesus preach in the wilderness? Well, it was because that was the only place there was enough room for the crowds to gather. But I want us to take a few minutes tonight and just move a little slower through some of these stories because we have this leper coming and uh, one of the other passages tells us that he was full of leprosy. 
Now, how many of you remember how a leper had to behave? Had to cover his lip and cry, unclean, unclean. Now, if you saw a leper, knowing that leprosy was a death sentence, what would you do? You'd run the other way. In in fact, this was... Uh, here comes Jesus down off the mountain and a, and a multitude is following him and all of a sudden one leper approaches. What happened to the multitude? Well, I'll bet they went... Oops. Got to get the mic up a little higher here. Uh, I mean, they went everywhere. Scattered. And here Jesus apparently is left alone with this leper. Now he's going to do something that for you and I would be an absolute no-no. You see, Jesus was going to touch the leper. If you touched a leper or if a leper touched you, what happened? You became unclean. You had to take a bath. You had to be sprinkled with the water of separation. And you were unclean until even. Read that in the Old Testament. He comes and he worships Jesus. Now, in your new Bibles, and one of the reasons I do not appreciate and do not use, do not recommend, and do not like the new Bibles, is they take the word worship out in many instances. I'm not sure if this is a passage or not. I know that John chapter 9 is one of the classic places where they pull the word worship out. Again, skip over that word and you miss so much of what's in the Bible. Jesus was a Jewish man. All of these people around him were Jewish people. This was a Jewish city, a Jewish country, a Jewish society. What is commandment number one? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What's commandment number two? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. It says, listen, you are not to have any other gods. You're only to worship the Lord your God. What was the penalty for worshiping another god? It was death. It was removal from Israel. Now, in Jesus' day, they didn't go around executing Jewish people for worshiping other gods. They no longer had that authority. They were under the Roman Empire. Only the Romans could execute a a prisoner. But they would no longer be allowed to be a part of Israel. They would be removed from the synagogues later on. John chapter 9, they're going to cast the blind man out. They're going to remove him. They're going to strip from him, we might say, his Jewishness or his ability to be part of Jewish society. We have a leper that comes and falls down before Jesus and worships him as God. That's what the word worship means. You see, 
You'll still look it up in commentaries and listen to some of these newfangled preachers. Jesus never claimed to be God. Let me tell you, anyone who would make that statement comes under one of two classifications, my favorite classification system. They are either so woefully inept at understanding the English or understanding language and communication that they belong in a uh, constant care center. Uh, they need to be institutionalized. Uh, they, uh, as my mama used to say, you don't have the sense that you were born with. Uh, they, anyone who would deny that, make that statement, either has no ability to comprehend words and their meaning, or they're purposefully trying to deceive. I guess we might make a third category for the parrots. But you know, anybody that just mimics somebody for what they say might actually belong in that first category, need to check in somewhere, at least get somebody to take care of them. Amen? Uh, it's a really scary thought. All through the wise men, what did they do? They worshipped him. These are Bible words. They have Bible meaning. Jesus is God. If, if he isn't, then we got some big problems with our Bible. And we do not have big problems with our Bible. The big problem is the reflection in the mirror. Amen? And so this leper worships him and says, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, is this faith? Is this faith expressed in the person of Jesus? It most certainly is. He says, if you want to, if you will, if you decide to, all you have to do is make the choice and I will be clean. You know how Jesus rewards true faith? He reaches out and touches him. Now, if you or I touch a leper, what happens? Nothing happens to the leper, but you and I become unclean, according to the Old Testament law. When Jesus touched the leper, it says immediately his leprosy departed from him. We're going to see this illustrated through the scripture several times. How many of you remember the story of the woman that was healed from the issue of blood? Again, she was unclean. She reached up without Jesus' knowledge, humanly speaking, as we say, and touched the hem of his garment. And immediately, the issue of blood was dried up. Now, what was the problem there? Again, if you had a running sore or a bleeding, a, 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 a wound that would not heal, you were unclean. When the unclean touches Jesus, it becomes clean. 
the leprosy had to depart because Jesus cannot be made unclean. That's why when he touched the buyer, the dead man arose. Death is unclean. And you know what? We got a problem in our own minds. Many of us do. How many of you have ever done something you know was wrong? You say, well, I know God wants to forgive me, but I don't know if I can forgive myself. Well, could we pay attention to the story of the leper here? If Jesus touches you, you're clean. Amen? Uh, How can he live inside you and not touch you? Hello? You see, Jesus wants us to be clean. Can a Christian sin? Oh, yeah. Christians can sin. Well, what's that do with the clean and the unclean? Well, we've got to go to Ephesians chapter 2. And you are, you have he seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Present tense. In God's mind, we're already in heaven. We still have this little issue called time, uh, the life that we live here on earth to work all of these things out. But as we look at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, he just finished talking about and preaching and teaching about the issues of holiness. Here comes a leper. Jesus reaches out and touches him. And instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the leper becomes clean. Grab a hold of that one, my friend. When the devil comes up and sits on your shoulder and reminds you of all your failures, say, wait a minute. I'm no different than the leper. He was full of leprosy, full of uncleanness. And yet when Jesus touched him, he became clean. Now, what did he tell him to do? He said... Go down to the temple and offer the offerings according to the Old Testament law for a testimony unto them. Jesus believed in the law. Was the man clean already? Absolutely. Jesus had touched him. But he fulfilled the requirements. And this is one of those truths that we get on to Uh, Sometimes people think too hard about the Bible. Uh, Most of the time it's because we don't think hard enough. Is there a difference between what is in the Old Testament and what is in the New Testament? Absolutely. There are differences. Aren't you glad you don't have to come and offer a sacrifice? Could you imagine trying to get a fire permit from the building department of New York? to offer fire-born sacrifices if that were necessary? I mean, I couldn't imagine how difficult... I mean, they're going to outlaw styrofoam now. I mean, come on. I can't wait till they outlaw breathing. 
then we all move out of here. Amen? But the simple problem is we have the Old Testament law versus New Testament grace. Jesus saw no conflict between the two. He said, you go offer the sacrifices until his sacrifice was consummated. Then there was no more need. Amen? The temple is destroyed. There there is no need for sacrifices of a physical sort because Jesus is the sacrifice. But yet, Jesus told him to be a testimony unto them. And we want to finish this story. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. And let's read the last verse here. And if you want to take time to read the other verses, you can. It starts in verse 40. But he went out and began to publish it much, to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. Then we come down to chapter 2, and we'll just stay in Mark and pick up our our reading there, and it says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. <clears throat> so here we have Jesus going back into the city of Capernaum, uh, one of the... <clears throat> One of the commentators says that this was Peter's house. Um, Not sure that we know that for sure, but Jesus was in this house and immediately the house filled up full of people. They started crowding in the doors, standing around the windows. There was no room. And then, I don't know about you, but one of my most favorite stories in the Bible. Four men bring a friend to Jesus. He's paralyzed. He can't get out of bed. So you can imagine these four guys holding the corner of a blanket or maybe they had sewed together some kind of stretcher that they could carry their friend on. And they come and they can't get anywhere near the place. Often wonder if they didn't have one of those classic, I told you we should have hurried. You took too much time. But apparently, whatever consultation they had ended in the fact that we'll go get some rope. We're going to cut a hole in the roof. We're going to get this guy down to Jesus. And I just love the picture that is painted here. Here's this house that is full of people. Now, what happens in a closed-in space when you get it stuffed full of people? gets hot. The air gets a little thick. And so here we have, and all of a sudden they hear this chink, chink, chink. And Jesus is preaching. And all of a sudden, a little dust starts falling from the roof, from the ceiling of that. Now, normally you have a ceiling and you have some kind of 
uh, of supports in there, and, and then you have the roof. So they had to bust up the roof, saw through these supports, and make a hole in this roof big enough to let down this man... And apparently, I mean, it would have been extremely difficult to tie a rope under his arms if he was paralyzed and just drop him through the hole. Uh, I mean, five, five and a half, six foot long and two and a half, three foot wide. And all the time that they're cutting this hole in the roof, Jesus just goes right on preaching. And we complain about a little kid crying sometimes when Better watch ourselves, amen? And so Jesus continued teaching, and then they dropped this guy through the ceiling right in front of Jesus. And Jesus addresses his problem. Look at it here in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, isn't that an interesting response to a paralyzed man who cannot get out of bed? Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, what did he deal with when he met with the leper? We're going to try to put some stories together tonight. He dealt with his uncleanness, his separation from God. And from man. How many of us understand? I mean, we know it. We know the biggest problem we have is sin. But is that our first priority? Or is our first priority something else? Do you see what I'm saying here? We spend our life taking care of so many things. And yet Jesus, when he was brought face to face, I mean, this man talk about needs. He had needs. Amen? He couldn't walk. If he couldn't walk, he couldn't support himself or his family if he had one. We we know very little of this man except that he had four friends that had an awful lot of faith in Jesus. And it says when Jesus saw their faith, And by the way, we get the idea that somehow these four guys went out and found this poor sick man and drug him to Jesus. Jesus said when, the Bible says when he saw their faith, guess who that includes? That includes the sick man. It took some faith for the sick man to be willing to be carried to Jesus. He was expressing some faith in letting them break up the roof and drop him down through the roof. I mean, this man who had the palsy was desperate to get to Jesus. That's faith. And I've heard this passage preached that it was the faith of the four. No, it was the faith of the five. 
This was not a passive thing. You cannot drag somebody to Jesus and have Jesus forgive their sins because you want Him to. That has to be an individual choice. Amen? Are we still together? You see, we had a leper that was unclean. We now have a man that is sick of the palsy. And Jesus deals with his number one issue. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Don't ever forget that. When you have financial trouble, don't forget your number one issue is the sin between you and God. Keep your accounts short. Amen? Don't forget when somebody's trying to hurt you and somebody is is out there attacking you and trying to destroy you, the number one issue in your life is still your personal sin between you and God. Amen? When they put a Democrat in the White House, your biggest problem is your personal sin between you and God, not the guy in the White House. Not the guy at City Hall. In fact, he doesn't even live there, all right? Uh, The simple truth of the matter, you can name the problem. I'll give you a bigger one. It's your personal sin between you and God. But let's go back to the leper. Jesus wants you to be clean. You express faith in him, he will take care of your sin. By the way, he'll take care of the other problems too. They're not as important. That's what this whole story is about. It is setting priorities. Before you get upset about what someone else has done to you, Get upset about what you've done to God. By the way, we go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Isn't that all the way through the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, poor in spirit is my inability to get what I need to please God. Blessed are they that mourn. Why do I mourn? Because my poorness of spirit won't allow me to do the things that I ought to do. I'm poverty stricken. The only place that's going to be solved completely is going to be on the other side of this existence with the Lord. But let's go back to the story of the leper. Jesus touched him. He was clean. Amen? Am I connecting too many things yet? Get ready. We're going to connect some more if we have time. You see... Jesus then addresses the Pharisees that are there. And basically what he says is, you think it's a big deal for me to heal this man? He said, which is greater? To say unto this man, just rise up and walk to heal him of his physical disease or to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. You know what? It's easy to say thy sins be forgiven thee because nobody can see anything. But Jesus said so that you can know 
that I can deal with the important things, I'll deal with the lesser things. Get up and walk. And immediately the man rolls off the bed, stands up, and you know what? There wasn't one television camera there. They didn't pass one offering plate. The only person that took any credit for what went on was Jesus. And not fill in the blank. A TBN preacher. You see, when Jesus does a miracle, who gets the credit for it? Jesus does, amen? And Jesus, again, who can forgive sins but God? Who can accept worship but God? As we go through these stories, Jesus accepts worship, Jesus forgives sins, and now he's really going to step into some very controversial territory. Let's pick up our reading here in verse 13. Excuse me. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto them, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. How many know Levi's other name? Levi, the son of Alphaeus, is also Matthew, the writer of the book of Matthew. So here's Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, collecting taxes for Rome. Very popular job in those days. Uh, only if you want to be hated by all the rest of the Jewish people. Matthew was there collecting taxes, and Jesus said, follow me. And then it gets worse. Matthew says, will you eat at my house tonight? Jesus says, sure. And here we have Jesus becoming the friend of sinners and the friend of publicans. Now let me ask you a question. Does that mean Jesus condoned sin and condoned selling out your people? Absolutely not. Does that mean that Jesus cared about these people and was willing to do, to take the word to them so that they could get saved? That's what was happening. And that's why through these discourses here, as Jesus is going to go through here, He's going to, Matthew holds a dinner and Jesus is there and all of Matthew's publican and sinner friends come over to meet Jesus. Did Matthew sin? I mean, was he of that same lifestyle after he followed Jesus? No, he became one of the twelve. He quit his job. He followed Jesus. Do you think Matthew's friends met Jesus and went right back to being what they were? 
I mean, we have preachers out there that say you can get saved by simply praying a prayer and nothing has to change. Uh, I can't find that in the scriptures anywhere. When you get touched by Jesus, guess what? You get clean. Amen? You change. You see, there's a lot of people today, just as there were in Jesus' day. What do they say? Oh, you don't have time to deal with them. Nobody will help them. Hey, Jesus helps the helpless. Jesus is the worker of miracles. The problem is not Jesus' ability. It's your willingness to allow Jesus to work. You say, well, how can I know that he's working? Believe what the Bible says. I've told this story many times. used to have a fellow call me up every year, four or five years in a row. Pastor Montoro, can you explain that sin unto death, uh, 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 the unforgivable sin to me? I think I did it again. And uh, he had problems, and so I would go through with him. I said, and I would always get around to this. I said, do you want to do anything with Jesus? He says, well, I want to serve Jesus more than anything. But, but I keep saying things and I keep thinking things. And, and so I got to really be, uh, you know, I, I've got to be beyond his grace. I said, the only reason you're beyond his grace is because you refuse to trust him. If you were really there, it wouldn't make any difference to you. It wouldn't matter. Look at the Pharisees. They believed they were serving God by putting Jesus on the cross. The high priest said, it's better for us that one man perish and the nation should be saved. But he had also prophesied that year that Jesus was going to gather together in one All the children of God. Didn't he even listen to his own prophecy? No. Because he'd already made up his mind. He already refused to have faith in Jesus. I don't believe we'll see him on the right side of eternity. The Bible gives us no hope of that. But here Levi, son of Alphaeus, whose name is Matthew, was used by the Holy Spirit of God to give us scripture. He was a publican. Not only was he a publican, he had a lot of friends that were publicans. That word sinner, when it's in your Bible, is talking primarily about a Jewish person who refuses to countenance the law of God. It was somebody that has actually been stripped of their Jewishness by the religious people. They are on the outside of Jewish society. They were known as sinners. These are people who could care less about the Bible till they met Jesus. And these righteous people over here 
couldn't abide, couldn't fathom that Jesus was willing to save these filthy, rotten sinners over here. You know why? Because they refused to look in the mirror of God's word and see that even with all their righteousness over here, they were still just like the leper, full of leprosy. You know what? There's no difference in sin. Sin is sin is sin. All of us have it. Till he touches us. Till we put our faith in him. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Amen? You have to believe in Jesus Christ. And if you believe in him, you believe that he'll forgive your sins. Because the Bible says so. The biggest problem we have is not our paralysis. It's not our lack of understanding. It's not our financial state. It's not the politics. It's not the economy. It's not any of these things. Our biggest problem is sin. And when he takes care of sin, he takes care of the other things too. Amen? And there is no one beyond the scope of Jesus' saving power. Not even a publican tax collector. Amen? And Jesus goes on, and if you'll read the rest of the passages here, I just want to summarize this and fill this in and, and, and close this out right here. As Jesus is eating with Matthew and his friends, apparently some of the Pharisees are walking by. They see what's going on and they begin to question Jesus' apostles and Jesus comes out. And what's he say? He said, I didn't come to save the righteous. I came to save sinners. And they said, well, why, why do your disciples not fast like all of the other disciples? I mean, John's disciples fasted, and, and we had a little bit of agreement and understanding with them, but your disciples, uh, I mean, they went with you to the dinner with the sinners. I mean, didn't they even hear what they were saying? And Jesus explained to them the story of the bridegroom. And this is something that we need to get a hold of, something that we don't get is Jesus said while the bridegroom is with them there's no need to fast but when the bridegroom is taken away then they're going to fast just like you guys do how many of you have gotten over the joy of your salvation don't raise your hands but think about it a minute If you have, you need to remember that he's here. He's in heaven waiting on us, but he's also living in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you got over the joy of your salvation, it's not because of what he's done. It's because of us. And it's time for us to just get on our knees and remember He touched the leper and the unclean became clean. It says 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will you just let him do what he said he would? You realize your biggest problem is sin. And by the way, if he can take care of sin, he can take care of everything else. Amen? But he's got to do it his way, not your way. And he will extend his blessing to anyone. I mean, if there was anybody that the Jewish, the the righteous, the Pharisees thought couldn't be saved, it was those dirty, rotten, turncoat publicans and sinners. They just never cared about anything. They don't listen to us. Somebody told me a story years ago. The person was struggling with salvation and says, if I believe what you're telling me, says, all of my family's unsaved. And I said, well, I, I don't know how to answer that. I said, but, you know, we cannot see into the hearts and minds of people And we don't know what's going on. She said, you know, and started telling me the story about her father. The last few years of his life, he stopped going to the dead, non-preaching church that they were going to. Said he'd just listen to the radio. And he wouldn't talk to anybody about it. Now, the lady I was talking to, this was 18, 19 years ago, very early in the history of our church. And she was advanced in age, and she was talking about her father. So, I mean, we're going back to the silent generation here. And I said, you know, I can't tell you about your father, but what you're describing to me is someone that heard something about Jesus. said, all he'd do is read his Bible and listen to the radio. I said, you know... There's more evidence that your father's going to be in heaven than there is for you. You have an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And you have to let God worry about what happened in the previous generations. Now, unfortunately, I don't know. Her name was Pat. If she ever really trusted Jesus as her Savior, never gave me testimony that she actually did. I would hope that she did before she passed away. But let me tell you something. Jesus did not come for those people who are righteous and those people who think that they're good enough to be saved. He came to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. His salvation is complete. All you have to do is trust in him. He touched the leper. The leper became clean. Let Jesus take care of the sin problem. Don't you try. Amen? Uh, If he can take care of the sin problem, he can take care of any other problem. And he'll save anybody who will put their faith in him. And please... If you ever find yourself losing your joy, 
of getting past that point to where you rejoice because the Savior is there. It's time to get on your knees and remind yourself, hey, I have the Savior. There is no need for me to be sad and all drawn out. I am looking for the return of my Savior. Now, you know what? If you're saved and you're all sad sack and all of that, when the rapture happens, guess where you're going to go? But don't you think you'd rather meet the Lord with a smile on your face? Amen? Could we, could we do that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, we ask that you administer these stories to us. And as best we can tell, this is basically the order in which they happen. And what a message they have, Lord. I ask that you would give us grace to accept that message for ourselves. Lord, my prayer is that there be one here today that has yet to express true faith in Jesus Christ, that tonight would be the time that they would just simply put their faith in Jesus. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Lord, we have those, we must have those who have lost some of that joy, just burdened down with life. Burdened down with our failures. Lord, that we would just come before you. Remember that you have saved us. You've already placed us in heaven. And let us enjoy that relationship that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, maybe you need to add some of your own to it. We'll just have-